chapter 2. So Nebuchadnezzar, same king, challenges the wise men to explain his dream. Tell me what my dream was last night. Who thinks they know what I dreamed about last night? I did not dream about this Bible class last night. I have nightmares about this Bible class occasionally, but not last night. All right, chapter 2. If you, that, this was the handout you had on the table when you came in, in case you have it now. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. His spirit was troubled, or old translations might say his mind was troubled. That's fine, either one. But he fell back to sleep again. So he had a bad dream. He went back to sleep again. And have you ever had this happen? You have a, you have a nightmare. You go back to sleep again. What happens the next morning? You forget the dream, but you remember the what? Oh, maybe... I, I kind of, but more often, don't you just remember the fear, the terror, the bad feeling? The, oh, I had a bad dream. And then somebody says, what was your dream? And you say, I don't remember, but I had a bad, I know I had a bad dream. Because you remember the emotion you have when you, when you wake up because of the dream. And I, so there may be a hint here in the, in the second verse, first verse, about why the king says what he says with regard to the dream later on. Verse 2. The king gave orders to summon the magicians, the spellcasters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers to relate the king's dream to him. So they came and stood before the king. I don't think it was all of them, but certainly representatives or chief magicians and so forth. We have four kinds of wise men in this verse. We have two more coming up later in the chapter. So I'd like to talk about the differences, if you don't mind. So first of all, he says magicians. And these were guys who were good with medicine and herbs and pyrotechnics. What are pyrotechnics? Fireworks, yeah. Making little explosions out of things. And uh, uh, there are different ways to do that, different reasons for doing it. Um, I remember from reading James Harriet that there was a particular firework display he loved to use on horses because the farmers always thought he was really doing good medicine there, Vetri, when he would sometimes have to burn off a callus or something from a horse's hoof. And it would actually cause a little explosion on the hoof, which didn't hurt the horse at all, but would make the farmer jump. And so he always liked to do that one if possible. Um, and so pyrotechnics. So we would probably call these guys not magicians, but we would call them medicine, herbs. I think we'd call them doctors or physicians, wouldn't we? He brought in the dentists, you know. And, uh, and then spellcasters. These are the guys, um, oh, um, the, uh, the ashapim. Um, this word only occurs in Daniel. And it's an Akkadian word that seems to mean snake charmer. So they were the one who cast spells and would charm snakes and use snakes. Funny you should mention the snakes just a couple minutes ago. 
Dan and and uh, and and mention it. But they were these were the guys who came in to cast spells. And then there were sorcerers. Now, uh, uh, Mikashapim is uh, sometimes mentioned among the Israelites. Um, necromancy. Necromancy is communing with, communing with a dead person, a corpse even, um, and divination. Um, uh, uh, especially though, uh, the other kinds of divination besides entrails. Um, they used to read omens in the way birds would fly or the way clouds would show up. Or most famously in our culture probably are three of them, right? The stars, the zodiac, tarot cards, right? And the other one? Now, Ouija board is a, technically a Parker Brothers game. I'm not even going to count it as being magical. But uh, tea leaves, things like that. Tea leaves. Still done today. Um, also, sometimes palmistry, reading the lines on the palm of your hand. Um, you know, supposedly having this kind of line and that kind of line and, and so forth. Um, but uh, I want to ask you just a brief question about the Zodiac, maybe because my mother was into astrology and my mother was a fine Christian. That was kind of her one issue was she read her horoscope, or as I said as a child, her horoscope uh, every day on the other side of the funnies. And... Uh, uh, is it sinful to know your zodiac sign? Who, who knows the sign of the zodiac you were born under? I do. I do. I, I was born under the sign of, the Air, of Aries, the ram. That's the time of the year that I was born. Now, those zodiac signs, where do they come from? It's just where the constellations are in the sky at the, at the time. Of, that, that's all it is. Actually, Knowing the zodiac, knowing the 12 constellations of the zodiac, would probably teach us a lot about astronomy. Because that's, that's the beginning of, 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 of astrology, is that elementary astronomy. And if people would know just that much about the sky, they would have an easier time when somebody says that there's a comet coming out of the constellation of Capricorn. At least you'd know where to look. You know, that kind of thing. Because I, I, I think that today nobody hardly knows anything about the stars, do they? Very few people. How many people at least here at least know how to find the Big Dipper? At least. Yeah. Now, knowing where the Big Dipper is, do you know where the Little Dipper is? Because they face each other. They're opposites. Do you know where the North, the North Star is? It's the last star at the end of the Little Dipper. And the two ends of the cup of the Big Dipper, they're called Dubie and Merak. They point to the North Star. Did you know that? But not to... I love the music of Boz Skaggs, but he says that the, that the North Star is the brightest star that shines. It's not. You know, um, so that's serious. Um, the, uh, the star serious, not I'm being serious. Um, and so on and on and on and on and on and on. But if you look at the Big Dipper and close your eyes and open them again, in the corner of your eye to the right will be a little cloud of stars called the Pleiades. And if you look directly at them, they'll disappear. Did you know that? 
They're so faint, you can only see them when you're not looking at them. Uh, the, the seven sisters. Um, yeah. Um, Electra, Merapis Therapy, Alcyone. Uh, Cassia, no. Uh, what, are, what are the, any, anyway. Uh, enough of that. Astrologers, fortune telling with the Zodiac. That's the Chaldeans, uh, the, the last one here on the list. So all of these different kinds of wise men and uh, soothsayers and so forth are called in before Nebuchadnezzar and they used a kind of literature that I predicted you had never heard of before called the Babylonian Dream Manual. These things have been discovered or portions of them. And the Dream Manuals, it's estimated, were probably immense. Daniel and his friends probably had to look into gigantic books thicker than family Bibles filled but scrolls of course gigantic scrolls and the idea of a dream manual was uh, maybe maybe 300 years ago uh, the king's magician heard the king talk about a dream he had the magician wrote down the dream and then the magician faithfully wrote down what happened historically shortly after that that seemed to fulfill the dream and they did that for centuries. In the, the, the Sumerians did it, the Akkadians did it, the Medes did it, the Chaldeans did it, and the Babylonians did it. And that's why maybe Daniel had to read more than one kind of language, because these dream manuals went back into time. The, 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 the Hittites did it, the, the, the people of Ugarit did it, and I, I suppose the Egyptians did it too, but they probably didn't share. Um, and by doing this, they would learn in the dream manual what kind of dream historically probably led to what kind of event. Does that make sense? I mean, how else would you do it? You know, they, they, you couldn't just make stuff up because if, the, if you're wrong, off goes your head, you know. So you, they, they tried to really do it. Um, and, but it, what it. So what it took was all kinds of insight and the ability to memorize because you needed to, to learn and remember what kind of dream usually meant what kind of omen in the future. On your handout, I've given you the Babylonian, it's, it's on the middle of, of page one, uh, a, an actual outline, a typical outline of, of uh, Artemidorus's um, Oneira Critica, uh, a, a dream manual sample that is from a later date but has the usual stuff. So first of all, probably a little chapter on how to interpret a dream or how to use this manual. And then they would talk about the body. So if a body part shows up in a vision, is it a shoulder, is it an eye, is it a wrist? Is, oh, like what part gets bit by the wild dog? You know, that kind of a thing. And what might that possibly mean? And then sexuality and gender in dreams the natural world in dreams of trees and rocks and mountains and rivers and things. And then uh, cities of dreams. Is the city you saw, O king, a real city or is it a, a, a dream city? You know, uh, what's the difference between the temple that Ezekiel knew and the temple that Ezekiel saw in his vision? Very different, very different. So that kind of thing. And then there are books and literary culture, then uh, 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 chapters and chapters on the various gods of the 
as I said, the Hittites and the Sumerians and the Akkadians and things like that. And then a, a chapter that, that um, Artemidorus uh, talks about, which is the snake and the whale. And I have no idea what that means. I've never read it. I don't know. But it's kind of interesting. But, it, uh, but both of those words, snake and whale, do get occasionally translated Leviathan, which makes me kind of wonder about those two. Um, and then festivals and games was something going on, O king. Statues, um, no, I'm sorry, status and values. Um, and then the invisible empire. Is there an unseen world? Do we know of an unseen world? Sure we do. Yeah, and so all these things in, in this kind of a dream manual. So probably um, uh, Daniel was aware of this, but all of the other uh, wise men of the Babylonian court would have been aware of this and would have studied it up really hard, really carefully. However, you'll see that Daniel doesn't even bother to mention this thing. So it didn't make any difference. Daniel didn't go to the dream manual like the other wise men did. Um, so, by the way, if you are going to make a dream manual, which I do not recommend, I wondered about what Bible stories would you look at to think about dreams. And, you know, you don't have to go very far outside of Genesis to learn about a lot of different dreams. But who always gives the correct interpretation of a dream? God does. Yeah, so there's, there's not much need to study. Uh, there's more of a need for faith and faithfulness than anything else. But there are a lot of dreams and, uh, and visions and a lot of interesting advice about dreams in the book of Job um, that I found. Um, and much of the advice in Job about dreams is, I don't know what this stuff means always. So that's pretty good advice. You know, to wake up from a dream and say, I'm not sure what that meant. That's not always a bad thing to do. Mr. Lowe. Yeah, taking dreams more seriously than God's word, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when we downplay the word of God and upplay our dreams, what do you think the devil's going to give us? Ooh, here, have some more dreams. You know, sure, the devil will be delighted to give you dreams if you start trusting dreams above the word of God. Um the, the devil will love it. That's one thing he can do is, is torment you in different ways or at least confuse you enough that anything you have, anything you dream about, even a beloved childhood memory, the devil, if he twists your mind enough, will start getting you to trust in that. Um, you know, uh, you know what, what, uh, what ridiculousness for you to have a pleasant memory of playing in the garden, in your mother's garden, as a child and have the devil turn that into something theological for you to worry about later in life. It's just boulder dash, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, forgive the word. Sorry. I don't know what boulder dash means. I probably shouldn't say it though. All right. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit was troubled because I did not understand the dream. King's being perfectly honest here. Look at the screen, please. The astrologers said to the king in Aramaic, 
Are you looking at the screen? Der König lebe ewiglich. What is it? Sage deinen Knechten den Traum, so wollen wir ihn deuten. The whole point is that this is the point in Daniel where it switches from, ink, from Hebrew to Aramaic. So the language changes completely at this point. Same alphabet, totally different language. So it switches to Aramaic. Would you like to know what this actually says? Or does some of, somebody here read that? Lebe, live, Ewiglech, yeah, forever. O king, live for. O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will explain its meaning. A completely valid response from the astrologers, isn't it? Yeah. So, strike one. They try. Tell me the dream, O king. That was the procedure, by the way, for all of the dreams. That was the procedure. We have the dream manual. You tell me the dream, O king, I'll tell you what I think it means. You know, you dreamt about the Washington Monument falling into the reflecting pond. I will tell you what that means. It means that your power over O king will overcome everything on the seas. You know, whatever. Is that what you would think that that dream meant? If the Washington Monument toppled? I don't know if that's what I would say, but I can, I can see an astrologer trying to get away with it, though. And I can see a, you know, maybe a particularly arrogant president believing it. Um, but we'll see. Say that again. Washington bowing to Madison. Oh, interesting. The king, oh, you mean the president Madison. Yeah. Sorry, I grew up in Wisconsin. When I think of bowing to Madison, I think of just facing south. And, yes, old mayor. Yeah, that's where the governor lived. Okay. The, sorry, that went, that went past me. That's the failing of my childhood. The king answered the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream and what it means, your bodies shall be cut to pieces and your houses will be made into a pile of rubble. You know, you know who's right behind you, O astrologer? The king's guards. And I think they all just drew their scimitars. This is not going to go well for you. Uh, so the, the king decides, if he, and, and the, the, the king's request, I don't know. Do you think it's unreasonable or is it honest? Tell me the dream first. Nebuchadnezzar is in what year of his reign? Do you remember? The second year of his reign. Brand new king, used to be the prince, dad died, and now he has to consolidate his power. What we do know historically about Nebuchadnezzar at this point is that he needed to raise money quickly because he didn't have dad's clout. And so Nebuchadnezzar did what every king has to do to raise money. He taxed the people. But when he tried to tax the old uh, uh, Philistine city of Ashkelon, they fought back. And his army got pushed back at Ashkelon, which is not very far from Jerusalem. 
And, you know, it's just, it's just down the, on the coast, a couple miles away, really. That's where the Philistine cities all were. And so Nebuchadnezzar had just suffered a defeat. He was not happy about this, and he was nervous. This may have been what brought on these bad dreams. Um, but the king uh, needs to know what the dream meant. And so was it that he was having trouble as king, that he was indecisive, that he was a little bit nuts already to begin with. He wasn't the most stable of individuals. Um, and uh, so it could be, it could be that he is just being completely unreasonable. Like, I don't trust you. But I just want to offer the possibility, is it possible that he just really couldn't, un- couldn't remember the dream? That he only remembered that it really bothered him? So I just want to offer that out as a possibility. It fits the text. I'm not introducing something that violates scripture here um, because we're not told why he said these things. We're just told that he said these things. So either he was being unreasonable or he was really bothered by a dream he couldn't remember. And of course, what's the third answer? It could be both. Both. I mean, if you can't remember the dream, let it go, right? It might come back. Or maybe it doesn't matter. But he put a lot of clout in the dream. But there was also a saying. Do I have it on your sheet somewhere? Uh, or are we not there yet? Maybe we're not there yet. Um, I think we're coming up to it. There was a, a saying about remembering dreams. Uh, I, I think we'll just wait. and It's probably coming up. So however, he said, if you explain the dream and its meaning, you will receive gifts a reward, and great honor from me. So explain to me the dream and its meaning. Oh, here's the slide. It was an old Babylonian omen text. One of these omen books, I, I, I dream books I, I told about. One of them said this. If a man cannot remember the dream he saw, then his personal God is angry with him. So the idea was the God gave you a dream, and then the God took it out of your memory. That, you know, he must be mad at you. He's just giving you emotions and not facts. That's not a good thing. They responded a second time and they said, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will explain the meaning. So strike two. The king answered, now I know for sure that you're buying time because you see that my decision is final. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. You have conspired to give me a lying and cheating response until the situation changes. So tell me the dream and I will know that you are also able to explain its meaning to me. Now the king is only asking for the dream. You know, for the moment, I don't even care what the meaning is. I won't trust you to even try the meaning unless you tell me the dream. Can you imagine being an astrologer, a court astrologer in this room? And you, 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 can, you can almost feel the cold steel behind you. And you know, what, do you, you know, what do we do? And the, so the, I don't know that I would have done anything different. The astrologers responded to the king. This is verse 10. There is no person on earth who is able to reveal what the king wants. No great and powerful king has ever asked for a thing like this from any magician, spellcaster, or astrologer. And as far as we know, this is true. Even Pharaoh told Joseph what his dreams were. You know, uh, when Pharaoh had the dream, remember the two dreams of Pharaoh? What were they? 
the sheaf of wheat, right? Bowing down. Uh, no, that was, that was bowing down. That was uh, Jacob. But it was that the corn stalks ate the, 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 wheat, the, the, the weak corn, ate the fat corn. And then the cows, the, the, the lean cows ate the fat, sleek cows. And they didn't get any fatter. And uh, Joseph says, oh, that, that's the same dream. And I wondered if, they, if, the, if the Egyptian astrologers looked at Joseph like, what do you mean that's the same dream? And Joseph said, no, they mean the same thing. It, just, it, it happened twice because it's certainly going to happen. That was Joseph. That's a great assessment, by the way, of Joseph. Um, and of course, what did it mean? Seven lean cows meant seven lean years. And they're going to eat seven fat cows. That meant that previously there were seven fat years. And that's the whole dream. And then Pharaoh says, what do we do about this? We've got to find a smart guy to, take, to help us. And everybody kind of shrugged. And Pharaoh looked at Joseph and said, there's a smart guy. And that's what's about to happen with Daniel. So, uh, uh, yeah, the, the thing that the king is asking is difficult. There is no one who can reveal it to the king except the gods who do not dwell with mortal flesh. What is correct about that statement? Verse 11. No one can reveal it except... Don't, don't worry about if, if you use a plural or a singular here, but no one can reveal it except... God. Yeah, yeah. What's incorrect about this statement? Sorry, I, I'm having trouble hearing the with the masks. Elaine? Well, yeah, the, the, the plural of gods. What else is incorrect here besides that? Dan? Yeah, God dwell, do, does dwell with us. Yeah, yeah. Um, Daniel lived after Isaiah. And Isaiah had said about God, you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God does dwell among us. Um, and he does show up. And he will dwell permanently among us. Anybody here last Sunday for the Luke 2 class? Any of you? We learned last Sunday that the incarnation of Jesus lasted how long? Well, forever. Jesus did not lay down his flesh. Um, he, he, he remains flesh today. When you are raised from your tomb and you are brought before God in heaven, guess who you will see? Jesus in the flesh. The eyes you look into will be the eyes that Mary saw when she looked into his eyes on earth. That will be Jesus in the flesh. He did not lay down his flesh afterwards. In fact, he says that. We see it in the resurrection appearances. He says, look at my hands, look at my side. And he was, and the doctrine is from Philippians chapter 2. It's the doctrine of um, exaltation versus humiliation. Um, in his exaltation, he sets us, rather, he takes back up all things he set aside in his humiliation. But he did not set aside his human flesh in the exaltation. He still has it today. Yeah. So he does dwell with us. If there's any theology here that you really need to take with you, remember that part and 
The dream business, don't worry about. Well, we're going to have more dreams than Daniel, believe me. This is not the only one. Okay. Because of this, the king became very angry. He was enraged and gave orders to put the wise men of Babylon to death. Who do you think were the first wise men to die? I think the guys who were right in front of the king right then and there. Probably the first, they probably died at this moment. But then who's not there? Yeah, and a lot of others probably too. There were guys out in the provinces and places and the, the students who were still in school and so on. So the decree was issued that all the wise men were to be executed. So executioners looked for Daniel and his companions to execute them too. And then Daniel responded with good judgment and tact to Arioch, the chief of the king's executioners, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel now gets to speak up, and Daniel does speak up. He doesn't just go humbly. He said to Arioch, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? So Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. Daniel then entered the court and asked the king to give him time so that he could reveal the interpretation to the king. Daniel actually boldly walks into the court, which is pretty brave, I think. Pretty brave. Daniel does things I don't know that I would have had enough bravery to go do. I can't judge for myself, but I, I don't know if I'm as brave as Daniel. I was young once, but I don't know if I was ever that brave. Next, Daniel went to his house and explained the situation to Hananiah. So if Daniel left, what got left out here in verse, after verse 16? Daniel asks the king for more time, and what does the king say? Well, I don't know, but Daniel got to go home. He at least doesn't get run through right then and there in the court, so I don't know. But Daniel went to his house and explained the situation to Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, his companions. They were to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions would not be put to death with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. Maybe that night would be a better translation there. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Um, in your notes, I have analyzed the poem here. I'm not going to do that now, um, except to say that we have all three kinds of Hebrew parallelism in this Aramaic poem. So we begin with synthetic parallelism. Daniel said, may the name of God be blessed forever and ever. And then we have the word because, which is why it's synthetic because a synthetic line completes the line before. So because wisdom and power are his. He changes times and eras. Then he removes kings and brings kings to power. That's antithetic. He does one thing positively and he does it negatively. He gives wisdom to the wise and judgment to those who have good judgment. That's called synonymous. It says the same thing twice. Verse 22, again synonymous. He reveals deep things and hidden things. Same verb has to govern both lines. And then we end with antithetic, saying the same thing in a positive and negative way. He knows what is in the dark, and the light dwells with him. So Daniel has a little poem there, a little song, and then he goes into prose to say the actual thank you to God. To you, God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise because you have given me wisdom and power. Now you have made known to me what was requested from you. Because you have made known to us 
the thing the king asked about. And Daniel now explains the dream. We don't have a lot of interpretation of the dream, uh, but we at least know what the dream was. Let's go through that part, okay? So Daniel explains Nebuchadnezzar's dream. As a result of this, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had assigned. And if you want to look at the screen, I have pictures. Uh, whom the uh, Arioch, is that where we are? Yeah, whom the king had assigned to put the wise men of Babylon to death. Daniel went and said this to him, Do not put the wise men of Babylon to death. Bring me before the king, and I will explain the meaning to him. Um, just, a, just a note here. In the old NIV, when Daniel has his quote there, do not put them to death, I think the old NIV said do not destroy there. And I wanted to just mention, it's not the same phrase as the psalm heading. We have in three of the psalms, 57, 58, 59, are all written to the same tune, which is called do not destroy. Um, but it's not the same phrase as we have here. So, um, uh, uh, al dehoved, um, as opposed to what it would be otherwise. And what, what verse are we on? 24 here? Um, so did I even put that in your notes? Maybe I didn't. That's okay. All right, let's just move on. al tashchet, I think, is what the... The psalm says. Then Arioch immediately brought Daniel before the king. This is what Arioch said to the king. I have found a man from among the Judean exiles who will make the interpretation known to the king. So the king gets good news. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I saw and its meaning? And Daniel answered the king, the mystery that the king is asking about, no wise men, spellcasters, magicians, or diviners are able to explain to the king. And now um, we're going to have to pause a little bit because Daniel now uses four names for wise men that are not the same as the king used in verse 2. Um, so he says magicians, he says spellcasters, but he also says wise men. And then he says diviners, which are the cutters who actually cut up entrails. And I would just like to point out that this adds a considerable sense of authenticity to the chapter. Because if I were uh, making up a fairy tale, wouldn't I use exactly the same four words for magicians, you know, early and then again late in the chapter? Isn't that the way to do that? You know, if you're kind of telling a story. But Daniel doesn't do it. Daniel's recalling what he actually said to the king. Um, and so some of the names are the same, some of the names are different, they're all in a different order. Um, and so it just, it just contributes to the sense of, yeah, this is actually what happened, rather than somebody made this up and just wrote it down in some way. Um, anybody want to know anything else about these particular witch doctors, or can we just move on? Okay. Daniel answered the king. The mystery that the king is asking about, no wise man, spellcaster, magician, diviner is able to explain to the king. Um, however, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the latter days. So the first thing about the dream is interpretation, which is this is not about the present day. This is about the future, O king. This is your dream. 
The visions in your head while you were on your bed were this, and Daniel reveals, For you, your majesty, while you were on your bed, thoughts arose about the things that will come after this. And the revealer of mysteries made known to you what will happen. But the reason that this mystery was revealed to me was not because I have more wisdom in me than any other living being. Rather, it was revealed to me so that the meaning could be made known to your majesty and so that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Another way of saying that is that Daniel says, I know the, 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 the dream, O king, not because I'm smarter than anybody else, but so that you will be able to have the word of the Lord brought to you, and I'm the one to do that. So Daniel is opening the door to the gospel here, a little bit like Paul um, at Athens, opening the door to the gospel with these philosophers. You, your majesty, here's where the pictures start, were looking, and there was a very great statue. The statue, okay, that's a punt, pass, and kick trophy, but still, a very great statue. Um, that statue, which was large and extremely bright, was standing in front of you. Its appearance was frightening. And this is a pretty traditional uh, picture of the statue that you have here on the slide now. The statue looked like this. Its head was fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its uh, abdomen and its thighs were bronze. Its shins were iron, and its feet were partly iron, partly fired clay. So that's a reasonable description of the statue there. It's just a typical Babylonian guy. Um, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar himself. Is that a possibility for the statue? doesn't make much of a difference. I mean, it could have been a horse, but it, it, they, Daniel has a guy here. You continued to watch until a stone was cut, not by human hands. It struck the statue on his feet that were iron and clay and smashed them. And then all at once, and this is a, a part of this vision that we don't often remember, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed and became like the chaff on the threshing floors of summer. The wind carried them away and no trace of them could be found. What was going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom? As they used to say in World War I, Spurlos versenkt, which means sunk without a trace. Gone, gone, gone. Nothing left at all. And, and, the, and the kingdoms that come after. And Daniel says, however, the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the entire earth. So what was it that finally truly destroyed the kingdom? Well, you may think you know, but read on, because Daniel has a different interpretation than the one you and I might have in mind. There, let's, let's have a benediction here today. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.